The question is, during ministry, it was said that Satan is the attacker. And every thought that brings us down, accuses us, is Satan trying to distract or discourage. But I've been told that God, only God knows our thoughts and that Satan cannot have that power. My question is, how do both work? How can Satan be one behind those attacking thoughts, but only God knows our minds? That's a great question. And uh, we're going to try to answer that today when we think about this. And the first thing we want to just mention is that uh, Satan is, cannot read our minds. He cannot read our, our thoughts. He does not know how to uh, read our minds. And I'll just say straight out, it's through experience with mankind that Satan works. And uh, it's because he's had many years of practice with mankind, and that's how he can bring us down. He can affect our thoughts, he can affect our mind, but he cannot read our minds. He does not know what we are thinking or what we are, um, what's going on there because he is not all-knowing, and we'll see that. First thing that I mentioned here is that Satan is a created being. He is not equal with God in any way. Remember in Ezekiel 28, it tells us that he was a, a beautiful angel that was created. His name was Lucifer, and he was a beautiful angel that God had created. He was the most beautiful out of all of them. But then Isaiah 14 tells us that he desired to raise himself above God, and, and in his pride, as a created being, in his pride, he said, I will be like the Most High. I will lift myself up. I want the worship. And really what he wanted was the place that the Lord Jesus had. And this is what he still wants. He wants the place that the Lord Jesus should have in our minds. He wants the place the Lord Jesus should have in our hearts. He wants the place the Lord Jesus should have in our lives. And we find that Satan is, is in constant uh, and continuous uh, combat against the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not want the Lord Jesus to have that rightful place. And in fact, we can see that in the birth of the Lord Jesus when, um, when Satan worked through the king of the day and seeking to kill and seeking to wipe out all the babes, uh, all the babies in that day. And you could just trace it all the way through from the very beginning all the way to, the, to, to now where Satan is constantly seeking to attack anything for the glory of God. And so, yes, Satan is an attacker for sure, um, but he is a created being, and we've got to keep that in mind. Angels and de demons require that information be exchanged through communication. An example of that is in Matthew chapter 4. What I mean by that there in Matthew chapter 4, when we think of what uh, the angels or demons, they interact with people, and information must be exchanged through communication. Uh, certainly, if, if Satan could have read Jesus' mind, he would have altered his doom strategy uh, in the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. We could look at that temptation very closely, and we could see that he attacked the Lord Jesus in three specific ways. Uh, he sought to attack the Lord Jesus through the lust of the flesh, but there was none in the Lord Jesus. He sought to attack the Lord Jesus in the pride of life, but there was none in the Lord Jesus. And he sought to attack the Lord Jesus in um, lust of the eyes. 
but there was none in the Lord Jesus. So every time Satan tries to attack, he uses those three, we might say, avenues or channels of attack. You could trace it right back in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, and you could trace it right down uh, to the Lord Jesus, and you can look in your own life, and you could see that, at least I can look in my life, and I can see that Satan will try to attack me in those three specific areas. Those are the means of his attack, and we'll address that in just a minute. But I want to go back to this idea uh, in Daniel chapter 2, where we see the sorcerers relying on uh, the deep demonic power, and they failed to read the human minds. And that's an interesting account. King Nebuchadnezzar demanded wisely, we might say, that his, com- his uh, Chaldean sorcerers reveal the, contact of, the content of both of his dreams before interpreting them. Now, if this demonic force could read minds, they'd be able to do that. But they could not do that. And so here's another example that demons cannot, demons nor Satan can read the minds of believers. And so we find that they failed, and only God is the true revealer of such mysteries. And that's what Daniel says time and time again. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 11, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, verse 28, verse 29, and verse 47, Daniel says over and over again that it is God who is the revealer of mysteries, not Satan. Satan cannot read the mind of a believer. And so then uh, we can see, as we move on, the attacks of Satan. What can Satan do? How does he attack? Satan can affect our thought process uh, through our flesh. Remember, I said he... He works through the lust of the flesh. And through my flesh and through my thought process, through the lust of the eyes, I can see things and I can fall into a mindset that is not a godly mindset. It's not a Christ-centered mindset. And I can fall into that. And Satan can affect me. He can influence me. But he cannot read my mind. Only God is omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. Only God uh, is able to know our thought process. When we think of that, uh, for instance, uh, Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that I have here on the uh, screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Satan is indicted there for blinding men's eyes, for blinding men's eyes, Uh, the eyes of the unbelieving. And Satan can do this. He can blind. He can put a veil over people's eyes and keep them from really understanding and seeing the light, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Satan can certainly do that. He darkens their understanding. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're reminded that uh, we once were lost in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We once followed the prince and the power of the air, and he darkens men's eyes. He darkens their understanding. And that's why one of the Apostle Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 18, is that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. 
This is, this is the prayer for believers, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. But what does Satan do? He wants to darken their understanding. And he wants to darken our understanding before we were saved. But now that we're saved, the prayer is that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that we continue uh, pro making progress for the things in the things of God. And I just want to read that verse in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. You have your Bibles. You can turn there. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 17 and 19 where we read this. The new man. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. And so, and then verse 19, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to the work of uncleanness with greediness. And so we find that this is, this is the desire and the walk of the new man is not to have their understanding darkened, not to be influenced by Satan and the way Satan works through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And we read in second in 1 Corinthians, Sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we read there that uh, we're not to love the world or the things that are in the world. And all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, these things are going to be uh, gone away with. And so he says that there ought to be a new influence in our life as believers. And we're to walk in the newness of life. And so we have that. And then... Satan also is told in these different passages I put there, there's more, but I put these four different passages there, uh, that he communicates false doctrine. See, the thing is, Satan is a counterfeiter. And everything that God has, Satan has tried to counterfeit. Everything that Christ has, Satan has tried to counterfeit that. And he even has a counterfeit doctrine. And he seeks, he has a counterfeit church. He has counterfeit followers. And so everything that is for Christ, Satan wants to counterfeit. And this is why we have to be so careful. We have to make sure that we rightly divide the word of truth, that we don't fall prey to Satan's devices. We'll come back to that thought as well. And so when we look at these things, the attacks of Satan is to blind men's eyes, to darken their understanding, to communicate false doctrine. And so I think of all these things, and then I put up some, some examples. Some examples here. Uh, we might call them victims of the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Ananias, it says there that, why is Satan put it into your heart to lie to the Spirit of God, to lie to God. Lying to the Spirit was the same as lying to God. And the apostle there said that in lying to God, it, he indicted Satan for putting it into your heart. Now, these were apparent believers that he's speaking to, Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied. They tried to be something that they weren't. Really, it's hypocrisy. 
really it's, it's hypocritical, putting on a, a face, being something, trying to be something, or putting off the idea that you're something that you're not. And they were struck dead. And I've often thought as I think of that passage, what if, what if we would fall dead every time, every time that there was sin in my heart, every time I did a little hypocritical Christianity, every time I acted in the way that they acted, what if I got struck dead? I don't know how many people would actually be in this room, right? But God was making a point. And the point that this is a whole other subject, but the point God was making was the, the fear of God, the holiness of God, was really emphasized there. And so, but we see, just that example, we see how they were victims of the schemes of the devil. In uh, David's account, in 1 in, uh, Chronicles chapter 21, there we see, in, in David's account, we see David moving, uh, the, the enemy moving David to consider his own strength when he numbered the people. We might call that the pride of life, in a sense. That David was, the enemy moved David, and he's indicted as such in First Chronicles chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. And then when Peter, when the Lord Jesus opposed Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. But what he was doing, he was indicting Satan for working through Peter. Now, can the devil work through a believer? Absolutely. And he does it through our flesh. He does it through our flesh in different ways. Yes, the devil can work through a believer. Let me just say, as we're passing, that the devil cannot enter a believer. The Bible says that we are sealed with the Spirit of God, who is our guarantee until the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. So the devil cannot enter a believer, but he can influence the believer through his mind. And this is why it's so important for us, and we're going to emphasize this in just a minute, but this is why it's so important for us and why Scripture makes such an emphasis on the mind, the mind of the believer. What's going on in our minds? Now, Satan can't read them, but he works through and he influences us through the flesh, through the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh, and that's how he works. We have another example there, not only with Peter, uh, but inspired worldly wisdom and jealous, uh, jealous and uh, ambition. Jealousy and ambition. And we find that in James chapter 3. And these, again, uh, inspiring worldly wisdom rooted in jealousy and ambition. And that's how Satan works. And he still works that. And he wants to get his foot in the door of every one of our hearts and every one of our minds. And he wants to get his foot in the door of every assembly. And oftentimes he works this way through jealousy and through ambition. And so there's that admonishment. And then uh, he also works through leading our minds away from devotion to Christ. And we have that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 
So I give you all those verses to look up later. We're not going to spend the time looking them up because we want to get to something else. But it isn't hard for Satan to know what you're thinking when he gives you the thoughts. Let me say that again. It's not hard for Satan to know what you're thinking when he gives you the thoughts. Sometimes he does that by uh, what's out there. Remember, he is the God of this age. Remember that he is the prince and power of the air. And the very standards that are being set by the world that he is the prince of. The Lord Jesus says three times in the Gospel of John that he is the prince of this world. And as the prince of this world, he influences this world. And if we're conformed to this world, if we're being pressed into this world's mold, we're going to have the same mindset as the world. And that's why Satan can influence us. If we have the mindset of, of, of the world, it's his world right now, temporarily. It's his world. And so we don't want to have that mindset. And so scripture tells us to renew our minds. And let's just move on from here, and we'll see that. What I need us to understand, and what's so often neglected in, in so much of Christianity today, is that we lose sight of the fact that, that Satan desires to build up strongholds in the mind. He desires to build up a stronghold in your mind. He desires to build up a stronghold in my mind. And uh, when we think about these strongholds, uh, we'll, we'll develop that a little bit. But first of all, in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, when we think about these verses, the mind is the citadel of the soul. The mind is the fortress of the soul. The mind is that thing that protects the, 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 the emotions and the feelings and the, the soul itself. And so when we think about that in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature of their, of their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. So the question we have to pause and just ask ourselves, as believers today, who controls our mind? Who controls my mind? You know, this is, this is a great, in the day we're living in right now, the coronavirus has instilled fear in so many of us, right? Now, we want to be careful. We want to be wise. We want to wash our hands, use all the disinfectant we can, Buy out the stores? Absolutely. But where does this fear come from? This fear is not from God. This fear is not from God. Because God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of love, joy, and sound mind. And so how important it is that we realize that perfect love casts out fear. And the enemy wants to paralyze us with fear in so many areas of our life. So I would just encourage us, be cautious, be careful, 
If you need to stop shaking hands, stop shaking hands. You want to bump elbows, bump elbows. Whatever it takes, right? But what Satan wants to do in so many of our lives is paralyze us, not in just this area, but in many areas of our lives. He wants to cause us to have fear instead of faith. And so we want to encourage one another. And remember that as we have here in John chapter 8, verse 44, that the devil is a liar. In fact, Scripture says that he's a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8. Now, it says he's a murderer and a thief. A murderer and a thief. Now, he can't murder us in, in a sense, but I would say this. What, as a thief, he wants to steal our joy, and he'll murder any, if he can kill any potential for the glory of God in my life, he will do that. And so we need to remember, I don't think it's up here, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, I just write that down, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says that we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan works, Satan opposes God, and we're not ignorant of the way he works. From Genesis chapter 3, he works through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He's been working that way ever since, and he continues to work that way. And so we're not ignorant of his devices. But what we need to realize is Scripture speaks much, much about protecting our minds. And that's where we want to spend the bulk of our time. Uh, we want to realize uh, to defeat his attacks, we must be aware of Satan's power and seek to use God's power to overcome his attacks. And so we want to tear down these strongholds. I want to turn you to a book, uh, 2 Corinthians again. And 2 Corinthians actually has much to say about spiritual warfare. And I want to turn you to 2 Corinthians, and I want you to listen to these words. The Apostle Paul is speaking, and he's writing Corinth, and he says in verse 3, For we walk in the flesh, that means we walk here in, 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 in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of, listen to that, pull, pulling down strongholds, casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every, listen to this, bringing every thought into captivity. Satan works through our thoughts. So I want to bring every thought into captivity. What does that mean? I want to align my thoughts with God's thoughts. That's what that means. I want my thinking to be like, God's word says. I don't want my thinking to be running wild. I want to bring my thoughts in line with God's word. And God's word is much like as you drive down the highway. And as you're driving down the highway, 
and you might get a little sleepy. Probably nobody in here but me. But you might get a little sleepy, and you might hit the rumble strips. And what do those rumble strips do? They wake you up and get you back into the middle. Maybe not in the middle, but in the, your lane anyway. Right? And if you go the other way, the rumble strips pop you back over here again. That's what God's word does. God's word is there to keep us aligned as we're going down life's highway so that we have a mindset that is consistent with God's mindset. And so he says here that our weapons of our warfare, and by the way, that just tells you that we're in a, in a battle. There's a battle for my mind. There's a spiritual battle that goes on. And the book of Ephesians speaks about this, the, the battles that go on in the heavenly places. There's battles going on right now in heaven you and I don't even know about. But scripture tells us. So he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of these strongholds, casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience which uh, when, you, you're, when you're obedient, is fulfilled. And so when we think about these verses, I want to just say stronghold. I put a little definition of stronghold, what, what I mean by strongholds. Stronghold is an area in your mind and in your life where the enemy has entrenched himself and seeks to control you from that beachhead that he's established. Now, think about that. An area of your life in your mind, where he has established this beachhead, this foothold. And from that beachhead, from that foothold, he is trying to build a fortress in your mind that is against the things of God, that is, that is opposite to the things of God. And he does that in my life, he does it in your life. And when we think about these things, I've already mentioned that he, he does these things through uh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And he uses these things, these three arrows that I've mentioned, and he aims them at the Christian, and he targets different battlegrounds in our lives. And the, the most common battleground is our mind. Why is that? Because Scripture says in Proverbs 23, 7, Proverbs 23, 7, Scripture says, For as a man thinks in his heart, in his mind, so is he. You are what you think. How you think, your thought process, is what kind of person you're going to be. And that's why we need as believers to align ourselves with God's way of thinking. And that's why Romans chapter 12 would remind us in verse 2, uh, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that we might be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's talk about renewing our minds according to the word of God. Not by doing uh, rituals or anything like this, but it's getting into this book and letting this book get into me. Because truthfully, it's not about how much of this book you know. 
or how much of this book you have a handle on. It's really about how much this book has a handle on you, right? How much is this book really controlling my thoughts? How much is this book really controlling my mind, my way of thinking? And that's how we pull down these strongholds. It's interesting. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, come back to that slide in just a minute. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your mind needs to be renewed. I constantly have to be renewed. But notice it says in the spirit of your mind. Because you're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Every human being. Because we're triune beings. We're made in the image of God who is a triune being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as a triune being, he made us in his image. And we are triune beings. We have a body. We have a soul. And we have a spirit. The spirit part of us, the soul is the inner you, your emotions, your will, your, your, your thoughts, your mind. The spirit part of you is the part of you that, that is connected to God that allows you to worship God. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit part of you is the part that the spirit of God testifies with your spirit that you're a child of God. So the spirit part of you is that part that has that ongoing relationship with God. And that's why he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He doesn't say soul. He says in the spirit of your mind. I think that's really, really important. In Matthew chapter 22, the Lord Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your Mind, with all your mind. So there's an ongoing. And Peter instructs us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Interesting. Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. That's an expression we don't know much about. But the idea of girding would be to get prepared. Be prepared for action. And so he says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds to glorify God. And when we think about that, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things here on this earth, but set your affections or your mind on things above. And so when we think of all this that's before us, those verses I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, let me just go back to this, and I say this about strongholds. A stronghold, it is the area of your mind and in your life where the enemy has entrenched himself and seeks to control you from that beachhead that he's established. There are three basic types of strongholds that Scripture speaks of. There are many, but we can put them down into three categories. One is personal strongholds. The second one is cultural strongholds. And the third one is what I call cosmic uh, strongholds or demonic or spiritual strongholds. These strongholds manifest themselves in our lives through such things as bitterness, fear, resentment, unforgiveness, apathy, guilt, unbelief, depression, anxiety, 
lukewarmness, uh, my thought life, lust, pride, greed, drugs, alcohol, pornography, occult activity, and unhealthy practices, even suicide. Strongholds can lead to suicide. Strongholds, and I've seen it, we've counseled people, we've seen it time and time again. In fact, I just heard of a, of a man who used to be in the Lord's work at one point, and he's, he's gone now, and he ended up taking his own life. But he got addicted to cocaine, and he got addicted to some other drugs, and he fell into there, and it was a stronghold in his life that the enemy grabbed a hold in that weakness of his life and grabbed a hold, and he ended up taking his own life. The stronghold was not conquered when it was a small stronghold, and as it grew, he became too weak spiritually to be able to fight it. And that's because he didn't get into the word of God. And the word of God didn't get into him. We can defeat these strongholds. But, in fact, it says this. In Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll just finish up with this. But in Ephesians chapter 5, this is an important verse. Uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. It says, give no place to the devil. Give no place. Give no foothold. Give no Give no beachhead. Don't let the devil, when a thought comes into your mind, you need to tear down that thought. If that thought is not of God, you need to claim the word of God. And I believe, I personally believe, that there is a verse in the Bible for every stronghold the enemy wants to build in my mind. I believe that God has fortified us with his word and that we can defeat the enemy by the same tactics that the blessed Lord Jesus did when he said, it is written. It is written. So there's verses that we can fortify ourselves. And it's interesting that in Ephesians chapter 6, he speaks about that armor in our battle as we're in this battle against the enemy. And in Ephesians chapter 6, he speaks about one particular, in the context of our message today, he speaks about one particular piece of that armor, and that is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's called the, the hope of the helmet of salvation. And we need to put that on. We need to put that helmet of salvation on our heads so that we can fortify ourselves. And by the helmet of salvation, I don't just mean that we're saved and that we know we're saved and that no man can pluck us out of his hand. That's wonderful. A believer cannot be, if he's a true believer, he cannot be ever lost again. But there's so much more to our salvation than our eternal security. It's to align ourselves with everything that God says about us. In fact, we have it up here. Uh, I, I want to give us some very practical helps. Uh, tear down these strongholds. Realize the victory's already won. We fight from victory. Yes, it's true that the Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battleground. But we must realize that we fight from victory, not for victory. Right? 
So we got to realize that the Lord Jesus has indeed destroyed the power of him who is our enemy. He's destroyed that power. He's made that power. He's annulled that power. We need to remember that your position <clears throat> in Christ. When I speak about the helmet of salvation, the idea of salvation is remembering all the things that we've been brought into. To remember, as it says here, your position in Christ. The enemy wants us to forget. And the enemy wants to define you a different way than what, how God defines you. And we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And I have verses there to, to help us with that statement. That we need to remember our position in Christ. We need to rejoice and proclaim the victory. Every time the enemy puts a thought that's not consistent, every time you hit those rumble strips in the word of God, you need to align yourself back with the word of God and you need to rejoice in the victory that Christ has won. And then we need to rely on God's provision. He says if we humble ourselves in the sight of God, he will lift us up. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And those verses there in James. And then resist the devil by the word of God. And First Peter says, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. I would suggest that I remember somebody says, well, I told the devil. I don't know why anybody wants to talk to the devil. I'd rather talk to the one who has victory over the devil, wouldn't you? Uh, he said, well, I told the devil to get behind me. Well, spiritually speaking, if you tell the devil to get behind you, what armor do you have back there? Scripturally speaking, there isn't any armor for the back, right? There's no armor in the back. I don't want the devil behind me. I want the devil in front of me defeated. And my Savior has defeated him. And so I don't even talk to the devil. I talk to the one who's defeated the devil. But resist him. Resist him. And then revisit the source of your strength. How good that we have access into the presence of God and that we can pray and we can find strength outside of this world and we can rely. So the answer to the question, it's a long answer to the question, but simply put, no, the devil cannot know our thoughts, but he works through us. He works through our minds. He works, he tries to throw these fiery darts in and he tries to build up these strongholds. And if we put the shield of faith up, and if we tear down these strongholds by the word of God, we can have victory over these things. Let's just close in prayer.